0: All right, everyone, we're back in the book of James. You guys remember that? We're going through James and we are almost at the end. There are, what, two weeks left? Are there two weeks left? Somebody confirm that. Okay, I think there's two weeks left in the book of James. Um, And I don't know how it's been for you, it's been super challenging for me to go through this book if you've been here the last few weeks. And particularly when I'm up here preaching, I seem to have gotten topics to talk about that are not exactly my strengths, if I can just say that um, mildly. I'm not good at a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. The first time I was talking about joy in the midst of trials, and I thought, that's, that's hard. And then last time I was talking, or the time before that, I was talking about not judging people by their external appearance. I about favoritism and prejudice in our lives and in the church, and that was super convicting. And then the last time I was talking about speech, I'm like, oh man, I know I'm not good at this. And so all along the way, God's word has been convicting me, challenging me personally. Well, today, I think I have a topic that that tops all of those. Because today, God wants to talk talk to us about patience. That's what James 5 starts to hit on. Let me read this passage to you. Starting in verse 7 of James chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can pull it out. If not, we're going to put it on the screen here. It says this. It says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, five verses. It's all we're going to hit on today, but they're pretty rich. They're pretty thick. Let's start right at verse seven together. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And so just to put it in a little context, we have to start by asking, where, where's the therefore? Therefore. Uh, what is that referring to? What's that all about? Well, the immediate context here is that right before this, James has been talking to them about how rich individuals have been oppressing the poor. And, and you guys hopefully have seen this if you've been here for the last few weeks. There's a thread uh, in James where it seems like a lot of the Jewish Christians that he's referring to, he's speaking to, are poor and have been suffering as a result. There's been some oppression, there's been some injustice And that's not necessarily something that we can relate to, all of us can relate to, some of you might be able to, but there's a bigger overarching theme in James, which is in the Christian life, in the Christian world, there is going to be suffering. If you decide to follow Jesus, that doesn't mean your life is going to magically be fun and comfortable, right? We talked about this week one, that you could expect trials to come. There's going to be trials. And for for many of us, it may not be economic. Uh, it may be social. It may be relational. It may be physical. In fact, you remember the first talk in the series, James said this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fe- meet trials of various kinds. And so he's following up on this thread. He's kind of closing this thread for us in this book by saying this. In the midst of those trials... And keep in mind, this is to everyone. When he says brothers, he means the whole family of faith, not just males, okay? So this is for all of us. In the midst of these trials, be patient. Be patient. Wait patiently. There's this picture of the Christian life. If you ever wondered what the Christian life is all about, I'm going to sum it up for you in like one minute here, okay? You ready? So, so we are far from God. All of us have rebelled, we're broken, we've fallen short. And at some point, God intercedes and he opens our eyes, right? Opens our eyes to our own brokenness and opens our eyes to this kingdom that he rules over. A kingdom where love is real and peace and justice rule. Where his reign and rule is realized. And he is powerful and he is good. He's showing us that there is hope. And he's he's provided for us a way to be redeemed, right? To be rescued. He sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. And that if we place our faith in him, we can be rescued, our relationship can be restored, the penalty of our sin can be paid for. Right? And so there's a moment in every Christian's lives where they respond in faith, they respond with trust. That Jesus can forgive our sins and that he is our savior and that he's also our king. And then what's crazy is that we're invited into this kingdom work, right? God doesn't just say, okay, you're good, just bide your time. But no, you are now invited into being part of, being, of bringing redemption, bringing wholeness, bringing healing to this world, that we can touch lives, that we can fight injustice, that we can help minister to the lonely and, and this is something that we have longed for our whole lives, isn't it? Haven't we longed for this? I got a sense of that even this week on Tuesday, right? Did anyone go on social media on Tuesday? What did you see with every single picture on Tuesday? It was somebody taking a selfie and they had their little I voted sticker on. I voted, I voted. And I was thinking, never has have people bragged so much about something that takes... Very little to do, right? I mean, for most of us, we didn't even have to stand in line if we voted. Some people did. But most of us, like, we're in, press some buttons, we're out. And then when's the last time you saw a group of adults get so excited about stickers, right? Ooh, and I got a sticker. Look at my sticker. And the whole thing seems at some some level kind of silly. What's going on? But there's something deeper that it represents, right? Every one of those people is saying, look, look, there's a way to change the world. There's a way to participate in crafting what's happening in the world. And I was a part. I got to be a part. Regardless of their political views, they were excited that they had been engaged with it. There is something in us that longs for that. And, and Jesus invites us into this, right? You can't be here at H2O for very long without seeing that we're so excited about that reality, that he's, in, he's given us the privilege to participate in this. And so we walk with Jesus and we're able to fight in these kingdom battles and watch him move and fight for purity in our own lives and love and our relationships and justice in our time. And it's really hard, isn't it? Anyone else think it's hard? It's challenging to walk for Jesus. It's challenging to be a part of his kingdom. And we long for something more. And here's the best part. There is something more. And James is touching on that in this verse. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. There is more that is promised. Be patient until Jesus comes back. Jesus is coming back. Did you guys know that? He is coming back. And when he comes back, he is bringing healing and restoration. He is making all things new. There will be judgment and there will be an understanding of who he is. And then he will make right the things that are not right. And he will heal and restore and reconcile. But that's in the future. And so until then we wait. We wait. And the reason I went through all of that is because I want you to catch one super important thing, which is simply this. Waiting is an essential part of the Christian life. Waiting is an essential part of the Christian life. It's a huge part. And this is completely counter to what you will hear from most people, right? The world out there thinks waiting is intolerable. Right? It is the worst. Our preference would be that we never wait for anything. My daughter is experiencing that now. My, my cute little daughter is now 16 and she has her driver's permit and she's been learning to drive. She's a little tentative. We even got one of those stickers that says new driver on it, <laughs> right? Because we want to be merciful to her. And she's so adorable. She, her little head is barely over there. People are honking at her. They're zooming by her every single time she goes out. She's like, yeah, people are in a rush. (laughs) They cut in front of her. If she takes too long to turn, they're honking at her constantly because we're in a hurry, because we couldn't possibly wait. We've got to get where we're going. And you know what? Often in the church, we have messages that kind of reaffirm those things don't we i mean some churches are very blatant about it they just say look you know you you just tell god what you want and you're going to get it right your best life is now let's go or, or sometimes it's a little more subtle but it's like you your god's going to give you more and more and more you're going to have better experiences and better emotions and more he's going to fill you up and your life here is only going to get Or sometimes it's even more subtle. There's just this underlying thought that, well, you know, church is going to be convenient. We're going to run things efficiently for you. We want it to work with your schedule. That's our goal, to make you comfortable. We can't be wasting our time. We don't want any dead time. That that is not really what we read in this book. Do You guys realize that? What we read in this book is men and women who are following the Lord and there is a ton of waiting, a ton of waiting. Think about the people of faith. I think about Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Jacob and Joseph and Rahab and Ruth and and literally all of the prophets. There's this struggle and there's these questions and there's these doubts Right? And, and you don't see stories where it's like, oh, and they struggled and they prayed for three whole weeks and the Lord responded. No, years are going by. Years. And they, they trusted and they waited. In fact, in Hebrews, it talks about men and women of faith. And it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things they promised. Many of them, they saw what God had promised off in the distance and they never even got to, s- to see it happen, but they knew it would. They died waiting. Waiting for the Lord. Waiting is an essential part of the Christian life. And, and it makes perfect sense if we think about it, right? James is, is about how to live with a genuine faith. What is faith? Trust, right? A genuine trust. This is the sort of life that trusts Jesus. This is what it would look like. Think about our our other relationships. Think about other people we're trying to trust. One of the biggest and most consistent, tangible demonstrations of trust is to just wait, isn't it? I had this interaction with my son. My son is, my eldest is uh, about to go to college, And so he is a senior, and uh, this is him here. And he's a senior, and he is supposed to be filling out his college applications. He's supposed to be filling them out. And so there's been a little bit of angst in my life because I've been like, deadlines are coming up, man. Are you getting this stuff done? Are you getting this stuff done? So I've been pressuring and pushing him and being obnoxious about it. And so I came upon him. This is a couple weeks ago, and he was sitting there, and he's like, you know what, Dad? You know what I've been realizing? I waste a lot of time. I'm like, yes, son, yes. (laughs) The Lord has spoken to you. And he's like, you know, if, if I would have just taken all that time wasted, I would, have, I would have some pretty amazing skills at whatever I put my mind to. He's like, like, for example, I could be really good at card tricks right now. And I was like, that's the lesson you got out of that? So I came upon it. I was like, that's what you're doing right now? I saw the computer on it. I thought you were doing applications. He's like, no, uh, this is a YouTube guy, and he teaches you how to do card tricks. And, man, I, I think I could really get good my head almost exploded. But I was like, hey, son, when are you going to get those college applications done? And he's like, Dad, you got to relax. <laughs> you gotta, you got to trust me. you got to trust me. It'll get done. And there was a moment there where I just, okay, what do I do? Do I trust or do I not trust? And trusting involves one thing. I just need to wait. I just need to wait till the deadline hits and see, did he actually do it, right? There's nothing else I can do. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that powerlessness. But in many of our relationships, right, that's the the epitome of trust, the willingness to reserve judgment and just wait. Just wait. I'm happy to report he did get his applications in and pray for him. He applied to OSU and he applied to Michigan. I'm telling you, the Lord is, it's in the Lord's hands now. I know, I know. (laughs) Life hangs in the balance right now. (laughs) If we're talking about a life of faith, then waiting is going to be reality, right? Unless God is a genie, and we know he's not a genie. He's not, oh yeah, God, here are my wishes. That's not how he operates. So it's going to involve waiting. And as followers of Jesus, and this is so important, how we wait is vital. How we wait is vital, because you're going to wait anyways. But how are we going to wait? Are we going to do it in a way that glorifies God or not? What does James say here? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? It's an idiom from back then that it meant firmness of intention. Establish your hearts. Decide. Develop a sense of conviction. Decide that this is what you believe and this is where your heart will be. There's the same word that's used in the Gospels, the root word there, when uh, in the midst of Jesus' ministry, he, he knew he had to go to Jerusalem to go die. So he was teaching and he was healing and he was doing all these things. And then at one point, it became clear, now it's time. It's time for me to be crucified and then rise from the dead. And in, in Luke, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's that same idea that, that we will set our face to be committed to Jesus, to be committed to the hope that we have in the midst of whatever is going to come. And we need to keep doing that. We need to keep establishing our heart. Why is that? Because when we are waiting, the temptations will come. The temptations to decide maybe he's not coming. The temptation that calls into question what we believe about Jesus because often in our lives things don't make sense right often in our lives trials we didn't anticipate they come up or questions we didn't anticipate wrestling with come to the surface in their moments that, that almost make it look like god is not near and that he's not being faithful and that he's not in control and in those moments we we need to remember that we're not waiting for a specific situation in life to work itself out. We're not waiting for a specific answer to a question as much as we are waiting for a person. We are establishing our hearts in Jesus Christ. We are deciding. We trust Him. We don't know how this world is going to work out. We don't know if all the situations are going to get remedied in our lifetime. We don't know if all the things that we secretly hope would happen will happen. But we trust Him. Jesus we believe as it says in this passage he is compassionate and he is merciful and he is trustworthy and he is coming back he is coming back there is there is going to be a moment when we are in awe now I thought about bringing all those those videos that are online about folks that are in the service and they come back and they surprise their families have you guys seen these And then the kid, you know, usually it's some small child, and they run across the room and jump into their mom or dad's arms. And there's this moment, right? This homecoming that what they had hoped would happen actually is happening. I thought, man, it's Veterans Day, too. This would be a great opportunity to do that. But I thought, okay, I'm not going to do that because then we'll just all be crying and I'll have to pull us all back together. But what do they do? What do those kids do? when their parents may be overseas and they're they're in the armed forces and they're serving our country, you know, they, they FaceTime with them maybe or they write letters or they pull out old pictures and they remember their mom or their dad or their uncle or their son or their daughter and they try to stay relationally connected. They try to have their hearts be established. They are coming back. We are connected. They are trustworthy And there's a sense here that that we're called to do the same thing with Jesus. We get together and we worship, we read God's word, we pray, we encourage one another. This establishes our heart. Jesus is real. He is with us. He is coming back. His promises you can bank on because his character is good. And we we need this because when we establish ourselves in, in him, it brings us peace in the waiting. It brings us hope when the delays can seem so long. It brings us trust when God's timing seems questionable. It keeps us working for righteousness, right, when the results seem meager. I want to ask you this morning, how established is your heart? How established is your heart? This is how we wait well. We keep pressing into the heart of Jesus. We keep staying connected. This is what it says after that. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And I love that word, the word grumble. You know, I, one of the things that I've been trying to do as we teach, I'm trying to do this more and more, is, is just to spend the week before thinking about, praying about, how does this apply to me? Where is this going on in my heart? And it's been convicting, and, but this was like the next level for me when I started praying about it this week. I was like, God, if you have the boldness to ask this, go ahead and ask it. God, show me my impatience. And I'll tell you, grumbling, either actually grumbling or just grumbling in my own head, was a sad pattern I saw in my life. And, it, and nobody, nobody was going as fast as I wanted them to go. Like it started right after I prayed that I went to CVS and there was this older woman and and she was trying to pay and she's like, oh, I have a $20 bill in here somewhere and she's fishing around for it. I'm like, oh man, just dump the whole thing out. Come on, let's go. And then it was, after that, it just didn't get any better. My dog ran away from me. We were on a walk and she wouldn't come back. She would stay close enough that I could see her. It was like she was taunting me for an hour and wouldn't come back. And I've, I, I don't know if I've felt that much rage in a long time. And I'm just like, i got to go. i got to go. We have so many things to do. I can't believe you're the worst dog. You're a bad dog. I don't like you. But you're not allowed to say that to my dog. She'll only come back if you sweet talk her. So I'm like, oh, you're great. You're a great dog. Inside, I'm just like, ah. I'm like, what is wrong with me? What is God? I, I was supposed to be having a prayer walk with my dog. And I thought about things in my life, things that I've been praying for. And if it doesn't happen, like in a day, I start getting agitated. Oh, I don't know. God, are you there? What are you doing? Right? I'm driving, I'm Everybody's not going fast enough. And the scooters, oh my goodness. Yeah, right? We can agree on that at least, the scooters. And I know we, we come up with all sorts of reasons why we think it's okay to grumble. We oh we're keeping it real or I'm being authentic about my feelings. We're just grumbling a lot, right? We're complaining a lot. And what that does is it fosters discontent in us, doesn't it? We're giving we're giving voice to our impatience, and it fosters this feeling of discontent. And all of a sudden, the fact that I have been rescued by God and every good and perfect thing is from Him, that's, oh uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Because this person's not moving fast enough right now, or this situation hasn't gotten dealt with her. So my life isn't what I want it to be. And we live in this space. That's not waiting well. That's not waiting well. That's waiting with grumbling. And it fosters this frustration with God. Like somehow he's at fault. And for all he's done for us, eh, I want a little bit more. I want this lady to find her $20 bill quicker. I want to ask you guys this morning, how much do you grumble? Do you see that in your heart? Do you see this discontent growing in your heart? Do you fight this battle against it? And so far, some of you may be thinking, really? (laughs) This is the whole Christian life, just waiting. What about the great battles we're supposed to fight and the injustice we're supposed to rail against and, and the world we're supposed to change? Yeah, that's supposed to happen too. Because I really believe that our patience is supposed to be active. Our patience is active. This is what I mean by this. Uh, in, in this passage, you even see it. Look at the examples he gives. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Anybody here a farmer or grow up on a farm? Oh, come on, raise your hand. Yeah, come on. Okay, do, how hard do farmers work? You know, somebody can shout it out. It's participation time. Hard, right? I asked this in last service, and they're like, well, depending on the farmer. And they're like, no, no. They work hard. They work really hard, right? You don't just show up and say, like, oh, look what the, the ground produced. No, no, no. You plant, and then you water, and then you weed, and you fertilize. I don't even know I'm making all this up, but you (laughs) fertilize. And then there's, like, other stuff you have to do. And then after all that you've put in these long days, you're waiting, right? Because you know you can't actually make the growth. So you are working, and you you are doing all of these things, and then you're waiting. And that, to me, it's such a great picture of the Christian life. What are, the other thing that's mentioned are the prophets. What did the prophets do? They didn't just sit there. They served God and they spoke truth and they lived out what they believed and they wrestled. They were, they were engaged thoroughly with serving and honoring God as they waited. As they waited. And that's the picture of waiting well. Right? This is the picture that's being painted. It's a, it's a people who endure the trials of this world, who grieve them and in the midst of it maintain a zealous faithfulness to God. That's what we're called to. So, so here is the million-dollar question for all of us. And I want you guys to think about this. What is one area of your life where you are struggling to be patient? Think of one area Where right now you could say, yeah, honestly, I'm not sure I'm waiting well. What do I mean by that? The idea of waiting well. Maybe an example will help. So, uh, many folks want to get married, right? Any of you guys want to get married someday? (laughs) Very sheepish. Nothing wrong with that. It's great to want to get married. Getting married is fantastic, but we're often in a space where we're like, okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to meet someone who's perfect for me. I'm waiting for the one. i gotta, I got to wait. God, where is that person? And we have a decision to make in the midst of that. And there's a lot of temptations that we can have in the midst of our waiting, right? We can, we can decide, I don't like to wait. I'm going to make this wait as short as possible. I am going to go find someone, and even if I have to compromise a little bit, I'm going to get this done, Right? And there's a temptation to do that. Some people become so consumed with the wait, that's all they think about. They filter their whole relationship with the Lord through, hey God, what, what are we doing here with finding me a spouse? And I'm upset with you. Or they even get bitter about it. They're bitter against God. Look, I'm, God, I'm trying to be pure. I've been sexually pure because I'm waiting to have this great godly marriage and you haven't produced yet. You haven't given me what I want. They're, they're waiting, technically, Not waiting well. Or some people just decide, you know what? This picture you have, God of of marriage and and sexual purity and all this stuff in your word, I don't think that's really even possible for me. So I'm just going to get what I can get now. Right? There's all sorts of temptations in the midst of while we wait, in the midst of our question, in the midst of this uncertainty of life. All sorts of temptations to say, you know, God, I'm, I'm not going to do this your way. I'm not going to do this with your heart. Those obviously aren't waiting well. What is it what, in your life? What is the area in your life where you're being tempted? To say, you know, God, I'm not sure I trust you. And it's particularly hard because most of the things in our life, we actually don't know what God's going to do, right? There's no promise in Scripture that each one of you is getting a spouse that makes it even harder. Like, well, I don't even know what's going to happen. What an uncertain place to be, right? But isn't that like all of our relationships? We don't know what people are going to do and what, how people are going to react, but we, we stay loyal to that individual. And we wait, and we let it play out, even though we don't know what to expect and that's exactly what the people here were experiencing right these people that james were talking to the rich were oppressing the poor you know what's not said at all in here is that that's going to end here on this earth he doesn't say oh guess what god's going to smite all the rich people right here in front of you and then it's going to be fixed doesn't say that it actually says you know what i'm not sure what's going to happen here but let me put your eyes on jesus and let me put your eyes on what is going to come in the future. And don't get me wrong, there are sometimes we get glimpses of God's kingdom here and now, right? There are some times that you're going to pray for things that there's no promises about in Scripture, and God is going to make those things happen and going to bless you, and you are going to savor them. And they are going to be joyous moments, right? When Kevin and Julie went to IU, there was no promise that they would ever get to lead someone into a relationship with Jesus. But sometimes he moves in a way that you're like, what a privilege. This is awesome. And those are fantastic things. And we want to savor those things. We want to appreciate those things. But you know what? Our our patience, our, our loyalty to God can't depend on him working out all of those circumstances. Right? There's got to be something else we're clinging to. We will not wait well if our eyes are solely on the circumstance of the moment. If in our heads we've created an expectation of what God must do and demand that he does it. We wait patiently when we focus on honoring Jesus and remembering that he's coming back. That's going to produce the fruit in our lives. Our hope needs to go beyond this world. Jesus is coming back, and he is going to make all things new. And guys, this is not a cop-out. This is at the heart of the gospel, that there is an eternal world, a, a spiritual kingdom. It's real. Right? Paul even says this in Scripture. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection isn't real, if eternal life isn't real, if Jesus is not coming back and making all things new, we are to be pitied. That's what he's saying. And I want to ask you guys this morning just to think about, do you believe that? Do you believe in something bigger than what's happening right now? And guys, if we want to have an impact on the world and we want the world to stand up and take notice, this is how it will happen, right? Because it is the strangest thing to people that don't know Jesus to, have, to watch you guys go through very hard circumstances, very difficult situations, trials, and still have hope and still experience joy, ex- still, still experience contentment. That isn't revolve around, oh, God's going to fix it any minute now. That goes deeper. that you actually believe that you're going to spend eternity with your Savior. It's an amazing thing. And it's at the heart of what we cling to. Let me read this to you. Paul says this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that there is something beyond this world that when you rescued us and redeemed us and invited us into your the privilege of serving you in your kingdom and and seeing redemption and reconciliation and healing happen on this earth that that wasn't everything that there will be a time when you return and you will make all things new and Lord I pray that you would bring that back to our minds, that you would help us be established in heart to these realities so that we can wait well in the midst of the trials of this world, so that we might honor you and bring glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.